0: One last time, I have to see this ground. It's beautiful now, as if nothing had happened here. Soon they will tear down the men will be left. Nothing, except what I remember. I grew up in the town nearby, where my father was the mayor, and where this house stood, waiting for me. It was built by Wilfred Butler. We had never seen him and he never lived at home until the day before Christmas in 1950, he finally did come back for the last time. Been since you had yourself a big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors. (laughs) Well, that's too long. Bully Puscular, half hour of forgotten horrors podcast with your hosts John Woolley, Michael H. Price, Wolf Brand Jack.
1: Thank you Wolf Jack aka Michael H Price and welcome to The Forgotten Horrors podcast and we appreciate you uh, coming by to listen and and as we record this we're getting ready to get into the holiday season. So Michael, what better than a nice holiday picture to talk about this time around?
0: You know, I I I always I always think of uh... Always think of uh, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Frank Capra's Frank
0: Capra's classic. It's a Yoker life, you know.
1: Right, right.
0: Uh, I think we've probably come up with with what may be the definitive holiday season
1: movie. Maybe, uh, but Ted Gashirny, as I has to uh, say is, is no <laughs> is uh, is no Frank Capra. Uh, he had a, a a nice track record. He he directed some tales from the dark side and, and uh, you know, a couple of other things and three films all mm-hmm. with his then wife, Mary waranoff who we're going to be talking about this evening. And this oh, is the, yeah. this is the final one of the three that he directed. And we're talking about silent night, bloody night, AKA death house, AKA night of the dark full moon. But it takes place. Uh, on Christmas Eve, Mm -hmm. in a little town, and uh, I've got this, I've got it written down here, East Willard, in East Willard, and uh, where back in 1950, something very strange happened. The person who owned the house, Wilfred Butler, uh, allegedly burned to death, and the house was shut down and hadn't been opened since film takes place in 1972. It was actually shot, I think, a little earlier than that, but took a while to find a a distributor. Uh, uh, So there's a kind of a a, a weird aura attached to this house, and the son comes back to take over the house, who the son has got to be the most gigantic, and I don't want to give too much away here, but he's got to be the most gigantic red herring that any picture has ever had. (laughs) <laughs> Everything points to him. And this is kind of a proto slasher movie. It's a few years before the slasher movies actually came along. Uh, but but yeah, kind know. of a
0: template for John Carpenter's Halloween.
1: Absolutely. And you know, when I was down in Jamaica, covering the film Popcorn, which we talked about yeah. on, on this podcast, uh, you know, Bob Clark had to come in and take over. Uh, for a couple of days. He directed for a couple of days because Alan Ormsby got kicked off the film along with the, the Amy O'Neill, the uh, lead actress,
0: mm-hmm. and they
1: brought in uh, a farrier uh, from, uh, what was his first name? cannot remember. Farrier was his name from uh, the Porky's Pictures, and he was a Bob Clark guy, but in between Bob Clark... Yeah came down and directed a couple of days of, uh, of popcorn while they were getting Josh sure. to replace Amy O'Neill. Well, I had a couple of dinners with Bob Clark at that time. And Bob Clark actually made me, the only time he actually made me turn off the recording device was when he, mm. he was talking off the record about how Halloween had been completely influenced by Black Christmas. But... Robert Clark or Bob, Bob Ooh, Clark's yeah. Black Christmas, but you know, Black Christmas, I think may have been influenced by Silent Night, Bloody Night, which came
0: much earlier. I think the I think pride of place is an important consideration here, and uh, this is a, uh, a genuinely scary movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know the, the whole the whole business about the uh, about the terrorizing telephone calls
1: yes saying that it's mary ann a whisper that mm-hmm. says this is mary ann which obviously mm-hmm. means a great deal and you know you go back you go back and look at the end of it even though the ending is really crazy you go back and look at the ending of it and it really has been it was foreshadowed nicely throughout the film that ending was foreshadowed well Nobody cheated.
0: Yeah, you know. I mean the red herrings aren't a cheat. Um, no, no. The clues are fairly deployed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, it is a uh, legitimate descendant of the uh,
1: classic old Who Done It. It sure is. It absolutely is. And the slasher films, six years later, seven years later, picked up on that same thing, didn't they? I mean, you look at Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Who was doing that? You know, well, yeah. everybody. You know, that was a surprise at the time when when the uh, when the antagonist was actually revealed. Um, also, I think it it, it it harkens back to Psycho again. Not giving away too much, but when you kill off mm-hmm. one of your main characters, a uh, little less than halfway through the picture. That's a psycho trip. That's the Janet Leigh thing, That's right?
0: That's a psycho trick, and there's also a lot of cat and the canary tricks going on there.
1: You want to elaborate on uh, that? Well, get you're right.
0: Now we're we're talking about not not the first mystery farce, but probably the most influential, dating from the twenties. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Willard's stage play, which was made into a very successful silent film, and then remade. Uh the idea of the confined space with a killer on the loose. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the uh uncertainty as to who is it? What is what is what does he or she or it want? Mm-hmm. And uh there's a great tradition to be followed here. Uh, we were we were talking not too many episodes ago about murder in the blue room. Yes, which is definitely a cat the canary descendant and uh, so we keep gravitating to these things <laughs> we do <laughs> that's good that's a good thing and i mean you you stretch a point you could say that you could say that that even ridley scott's alien owes as much to the confined space killer on loose motif as it does to um it the terror from beyond space and 1958 the and certainly it, the terror from beyond space is a is a, a science fiction variant on the cat and the canary
1: which is and so you're talking about confined space are you using that as a uh, as a synonym kind of for uh old dark house
0: definitely old dark house mm-hmm. although old dark house is more a shaggy dog story right than a killer on the loose thing. Right. Mean, thing it, it's it's uh a lot of people who even today who discover the old dark house uh, as a as an offshoot of their interest in in the universal frankenstein etc films a lot of people are surprised to find that the old dark house is more of a
1: comedy than anything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you take the whole uh, the, the idea of the old dark house movie as a whole you know, they sometimes they, they a lot of them were descended from like Captain yeah. Canary, descended from uh, stage plays because they could be stage bound, could all be told within the 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 boundaries that you're talking about, but on the stage.
0: Correct. And silent yeah. pictures to open to the stage play
1: up. Right, right, exactly.
0: And uh, and still even so though though opened up for the silent screen, the stage play motif remained to where the audience of the picture feels if the picture is done, right. The, the audience watching the picture feels as trapped as the characters mm-hmm. in the, in the story.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is one of those instances, I think. Absolutely. Yes. And, yes, you it know, it really helps to have your protagonist be Mary Warrenoff. you know, because I, I identify with her a lot. Um, Maybe identify as the wrong is the wrong term, but I've always loved Mary I loved Mary Warnoff from I guess when I first saw her would have been in uh, probably Hollywood Boulevard or or one of uh-huh. those Corman pictures, right? Uh, you know, everybody talks about oh, yeah. eating real, and she's great in eating royale, she's great in rock and roll high school. Uh, she's terrific. And, and a cult a cult actress, just read her book maybe a couple of months ago called Swimming Underground, which is a story of her days with warhol factory in new york she was very young when she started there she was a, a warhol superstar she's in chelsea girls his first break kind of breakthrough film if that's the right term and then she was dancing with yes. the exploding plastic inevitable which was the the the, the dancers around uh, around lou reed and the velvet Underground. oh yes
0: one of the most versatile uh screen actresses i've ever run across i have uh, a colleague of mine in the newspaper business once suggested that Mary Warrenov might be the real Meryl Streep. <laughs>
1: That's great. Well, tremendous
0: is- versatility yeah. and, and an ability to inhabit characters. You never know you're watching Mary Warrenov. You're watching the character. She is so immersed. That's right. That's right. And yet she's instantly recognizable on that account.
1: She is, and a lot of times she plays sort of evil characters or oddball characters. And in this one, she's almost a standard heroine. I would say, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Especially yes, there, toward the say. end, when when uh, when she's on deck for the blow off with everything that happens in that house that we've been talking about. Uh, it's and she is uh, she's she looks great. She she's act she acts great. I mean the role she just. She just really knows what she's doing. And there's a lot of voiceover in this picture. And a lot of times that doesn't work very well. And you can kind of see that maybe the voiceover was being used to sew some of the disparate plot threads together. Yeah. Uh, and she does a lot of the voiceover and she does a really, really good job But now, You know, it's, a, it's just, it's a good cast too. I mean, Patrick O'Neill, I think is, has always been low I I really like you know he's got that, what that kind of a Peter Lawford vibe always you know to me, uh-huh. but he's he's really you know I I think and he did some horror pictures too right I mean he did quite a few horror things as well as his TV stuff right Did you ever deal with him Did you ever have a chance to interview him in your career
0: Never had never had a sit down
1: with him Yeah I never did either and I. Let's see it's a bit of a gap I think yeah yeah he's one of those guys of course he did mostly TV I guess but he's he's very good in this and of course Carradine is in it and even though um <laughs> they don't use his voice which is a mm-hmm. shame because that's yeah. you know that's the Carradine thing it's pretty good and so is a uh, and, and uh, the other guy in there the other um old actor whose name I just Walter Abel Oh sure, Walter Abel. Definitely He's been around since Silent Pictures. He plays the he plays Mary Warnoff's dad, the the uh, the mayor of the town, and uh, and Carradine is the newspaper editor in this. And then to do the voice, you never really see much of Wilford Butler, uh, the one who built the house and then allegedly died, um, mm-hmm. but his voice, Michael, oh yeah, done by Stats Cotsworth. Mm-hmm. you remember? Are you an old time radio guy at all?
0: I have uh, not gone as deep into old time radio as I would like. Uh, too many distractions from the big screen. Right. But, uh, yes, I am a great admirer of people who can act with only their voices.
1: Well, he was one of the great ones. That's mm-hmm. Cotsworth. He, he did thousands and thousands of, uh, of radio shows. Uh, Casey Crime yeah. Photographer was his biggest radio show. And he did Ma Perkins. And he did Mr. and Mrs. North. And he did a ton. Stats Cotsworth is one of those guys that old time radio fans. I mean, he's right up there with like with like uh William Conrad. Yeah. Right. And and those guys. Those I mean at that at that level. Parley Bear, you know, those guys. And he's really, really good in this, I think, uh, during his doing his voiceover. But um this came along after Mary warrenov left uh, uh left Warhol and she'll tell you then does in her book that she unfortunately acquired a pretty heavy duty amphetamine addiction while she was up there with Warhol and the folks
0: sure.
1: um and uh and and, and and had to get out of the scene basically but in the book she talks about kind of the love of her life was on Dean the uh, the Warhol superstar that they called the Pope, and uh-huh. uh, and on Dean is in this picture as well as Candy Darling, and oh, yeah. some, in, the, in the flashbacks, there's like eight Warhol superstars <laughs> in this picture, all playing. And I don't think I'm giving anything away in the flashbacks. All playing inmates of a mental institution, except for Candy Darling, and she's playing a she's playing a, a uh, somebody who's on the other side is with the doctors, yep. uh, but it's Candy Darling's last film. You know, she was very young. She died of leukemia. She's very young, but she died. It's the last film for James Patterson, the gigantic red herring who is supposed to be the the grandson or the son of uh, of of uh, uh, what's his name that uh, the, that uh, owned the house, and it's his last. Oh, but, film. yeah, he passed away. It's um. Astrid Heron, who's pl- who plays uh, uh, O'Neill's uh, girlfriend, it's her last picture. So this was like a mm-hmm. final thing for a lot of actors. And uh, at this time, as I say, Mary warnoff was married to uh, to Ted, uh, Ted. Do you know how to pronounce that? Ted Gersh- Gershoney? Does that sound right? Gershoney. Gershoney. Ted Gershoney. Thank you. Mm-hmm. and she she divorced him after uh after the film i think after the film was released or maybe before it was released but um uh i don't think the film had all that much to do with it because it's, i think it's the best one of three that they did together they did that what film sugar movie. yeah they did a film oh, yeah. sugar cookies which was a kind of an x-rated thing and, and you'll notice that um uh lloyd kaufman mhm uh, pictures uh did some writing on the on on that picture and he was one of the producers i believe if i'm not mistaken no mm-hmm. uh, is that am i correct on that so and, i'm sure. yeah yeah and it was allegedly the other thing allegedly canon's first release interesting golan globus's first you know first canon release
0: Canon Group uh, comes from interesting origins. Oh,
1: does it ever? Does it ever?
0: Like their eventual pretensions to Miramax-type uh, art film dignity, um, they owe a lot to those to these supposedly sleazy exploitation films. And of course, I say supposedly sleazy. It's amazing uh, to me; it never ceases to amaze how how deep the avant-garde underground connections go in in many of these so-called slasher films.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: Like the Warhol connection. Yeah, exactly. In this one, why do you think that is? I think it's because I think it's because well, the cutting edge is attracted to uh, uh, shock value as a means of uh, connecting with an audience in ways that um, plain old ordinary Hollywood storytelling doesn't cut.
1: Do you yeah. think it's also because they're outsiders, and it's a lot of times, you know, slasher cinema is considered outside that was it was then considered outside the mainstream. Suppose oh, that yeah, is.
0: and of course these guys, these guys were inventing the slasher subgenre at the time they made this picture. That's
1: right, they were, and and it really, <laughs> yeah.
0: you know, you didn't you you had you had uh, maniac at large pictures all the way back to the beginning of the film, almost. Um, And you've had some striking examples along the way. My favorite is uh, uh, calling Dr. Gillespie, one of the Dr. Kildare Mm
1: spin-offs.
0: Oh, psycho killer at large in the hospital. How'd that happen? And here's Lionel Barrymore, and this old Dr. Gillespie. He said, well, let's let's, let's see what we do about this. (laughs) Uh, And of course, uh, psycho paved the way. Um, yeah. In a way yeah. that, in a way that Universal Pictures could not have anticipated, because it was an experimental film in itself, it was not supposed to have been a picture so big, but they couldn't get away with it right. on the, off the Hitchcock Hour, and so, uh, well, we'll make this picture or, or die trying, and, and they ended up uh, basically inventing not only a subgenre but I think a genre unto itself.
1: Uh, this picture is a breed apart yeah well you think that's where the cycle psych- where, the, where the slasher film got started then? i think it's one
0: of the places where i would you know you could go back even a few years earlier to to a uh, uh western uh the fiend who walked the west mm-hmm. uh many
1: o, that's and, a hugh and, o'brien film is not it
0: yeah you exactly yeah, exactly yeah. but uh you know, I mean, it wasn't wasn't too many wasn't too long after Silent Night Deadly Night that uh, uh, one of the one of the great feminist literary figures, Rita Mae Brown, came up with Slumber Party Massacre. That's
1: true. That's true.
0: And how did that happen? Well, <laughs> there is an appeal to the working artist of being an outsider. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And Mary Waranov, and I mean, this film's full of outsiders, right? But Mary Waranov yeah. kind of is is an outsider. I mean, she's a, a cult figure, and she's done offbeat movies mm-hmm. with offbeat portrayals. I mean, um, she's done some she's done some great things. Night of the Comet. She's terrific in Night of the Comet. And uh, yeah, oh, she's,
0: Night of the Comet. Yeah. You
1: know, I mean, that's and she. I think she's really good in this. She's seldom been i mean her husband put her in the role of essentially a last girl role they weren't called that then you know but that was that really came along with heather Langdon camp in the first time around elm street many years later but she's still really when you get right mm-hmm. down to it she's the last girl she's the last girl and uh the template and, for jamie exactly exactly and she's very you know I mean, she's in some ways she's typical heroine, but she's she's pretty strong. And and also, you know, some of the some of the dialogue in this picture is so strange. You know, she says, How old are you? And he says, Some of the, the effect you mean how many years have I been alive? You know, I mean it's like <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's
1: just it's it's really, you know, it's gotten a lot of knocks because it doesn't. You look real closely at it, and it doesn't make a lot of sense some of sometimes. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I've watched I watched it twice before we did this, and uh, you (laughs) know it makes pretty good sense the second time you see it. Sure. uh, You know, I and 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 you're right. It's a very frightening film in a lot of ways. It's a
0: frightening film, but it doesn't resort to cheap scares. No. You have a heroic female figure who is unafraid to be afraid.
1: that's yeah. right she says at one point she says he yeah. asked her why she wants to go with him and she says i'm pushy and that's a pretty neat thing to be saying in 1970 <laughs> you know just to go why you want to go out the old scary old house with me because i'm pushy yeah mary Warren says she's great and of course i love mary Warren, so i'm i'm not i'm not um very objective when it comes to Mary Warren off movies. I will say one of the things I found out in my research uh, for this podcast, though, was when she was a kid, you know who her boyfriend was? Oh. Harry Chapin. Huh. Wow. She was, she and Harry Chapin were boy and girlfriend when they were kids. Wow. Is that a strange connection? <laughs> what? Mary, we're talking about a fun couple. Mary warov and Harry Chapin yeah it's wonderful Christmas man I'm telling you so would you uh would you recommend the picture michael
0: no i I wouldn't hesitate i I, I watch it myself from time to time
1: yeah yeah it's uh, it's, it's a, it's a and, it's you got know, a, no, it's no. got an indes- it's got
0: an indescribable quality about it that you often find in pictures, for example Joel and Ethan Cohen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sense of willingness to disorient the viewer to the point where the viewer has to fight back or work with the film to make sense of it
1: right right
0: it's a that, it's an it's an interactive kind of attitude the film has
1: and it's always worthwhile to do it too it's always worthwhile oh, yeah to yeah, put
0: that yeah i in. i i don't enjoy i don't enjoy passive receipt of entertainment you got to well, You gotta kind of lay it down. Yeah. (laughs) To lay down the challenge, like okay, come on, work (laughs) with me, work with me.
1: (laughs) Lay down the gauntlet. um, Yeah, exactly. You mentioned Silent Night. Uh, Silent Night. There's a Silent Night, Bloody Night, and then there's a Silent Night. What's the other one?
0: Oh, Deadly deadly Night. Yeah.
1: Now that was later, right? I don't know. I
0: believe so. I don't have the. I don't have its exact year in front of me, but. Yeah, this is this is a genetic template.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree, and I'm really kind of surprised that. And tell me that, tell me how to pronounce his name again, Gershini? Gershini. Gersheny. Yeah, I'm kind of. He did a lot more. I mean, it's TV horror. He did some TV horror and stuff. He's passed away now, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm just kind of surprised he didn't do more. I believe this was his maybe his final feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did some as I'd say some Tales from the Crypt and some of the uh, when they were doing the monster series and you know, the horror series on TV he did a few of those kinds of things but that was about it and uh, oh, yeah. you know I think he had a really you know he did some really interesting things the, the town the, the, the town elders that are in this picture of, of whom Walter Abel and John Carradine are, are, are two mm-hmm. uh, are, are just it's a you know when, when Patrick O'Neill first meets them it's just, it's, a, everything's kind of off-kilter in this picture. It never quite goes where you think it's going to go.
0: And that's... Well, you uh, you, you kind of get that vibe off his uh, handful of episodes for uh, George Romero's production, Tales from the Dark Side.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: uh, There are... Uh, uh, the guy's got a a varied resume as brief as it is that makes you want to go back and see more
1: well michael let's uh get into let's do a little bit of plugola now what uh, you've got a new uh, book uh, uh, a revised edition of a book of yours that just came out right yeah it's a uh, uh,
0: utterly different subject matter although although the uh connections with forgotten horrors run deep uh, Uh, The book is the expanded edition of um, uh, a book that originally was published in England. Gosh, 2006. Yeah. Uh, The new title is Thick Lights, Loud Smoke, and Dim, Dim Music,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, which is a takeoff on you know what. Uh, (laughs) uh, Dim lights, thick thick smoke. smoke, loud, loud music uh one of the one of the one of the great honky-tonk western swing songs that's right that's right. And, uh, although the although the book itself covers much broader territory than one idiom uh it also is timed the 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 timing is to coincide with what would now be the 91st anniversary of the origin of western swing
1: that's correct yep That's exactly right.
0: 1929, 1930. And we we never were able to pin the exact date down, but it it occurred either late in 29 or early in 30 Mm -hmm. and uh, happened in Fort Worth. And then uh, Fort Worth kind of dropped the ball and Tulsa picked it up.
1: I think we can share, you know, my little conceit has always been about uh, that Western Swing was born in Fort Worth and crawled out of its cradle in Tulsa. I'm not sure. That yeah, that...
0: yeah, and the common element is Bob Wills. That's
1: right. That's right. Sure. And, yeah.
0: uh, it's it's a memoir of sorts, a lot of a lot of childhood reminiscences, and I had a uh, had a had a very privileged childhood of growing up around such figures as Bob Wills, Big Joe Turner, mm-hmm. uh, and and a lot of the uh, more regional or provincial Western swing artists. Who lived in my hometown? Say what, Billy Briggs? Yeah, Jess Williams. A lot of those. And uh, you know, I mean, uh, thanks to an uncle who was had a had a hand in the black nightclub circuit, I uh, had the privilege of taking voice lessons from Big Joe Turner. Wow! Before my voice even started to change.
1: Now that wasn't the same uncle. that. That wasn't your uncle Grady, was it?
0: Oh yeah, that was that was that was the one and only—the
1: the same one that introduced Castle.
0: Yeah, ran theaters, booked black nightclubs, uh, and was in fact the first theater manager in Texas to take down the color bar that uh, enabled uh, black audiences together for any show they wanted at any time of day. And of course, the the bottom line was uh, my my uncle's bosses. Uh, Dallas finally realized that uh, hey, we're making greater money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you appeal to the corporate imperative, and you're going to get ahead.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, I read the first book; was wonderful, and uh, I'll uh, be looking forward to reading this next one too. Playing some of your own western swing music on my show, Swing on This, which uh, oh yeah, yeah, which people can pick up um, at uh, 7 p.m. Tulsa time every Saturday night on PublicRadioTulsa.org, and I want to invite people to um, uh, subscribe to my newsletter. Just started no. it on our third issue. Now it's free. And uh, 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 Lourdes Alcala, who is my uh, my media person, and Joey Hambrick, my uh, social media. I don't know. I, I need to give you guys better titles. Anyway, started the, a newsletter. And uh, this month, I've got all of my books on it um the books that have just come out the western i'm sorry the book on the canes ballroom uh called 20th century honky time oh yeah just selling all over the place we're just amazed by how that's done and we've got all three of the cleansing trilogy books out now and anybody who orders a book this month uh gets a free book they can either get a copy of hot schlock horror uh which dave friedman called life the best movie genre movie book i've ever read or uh ghost band my my big band uh ghost novel uh we're giving those away free mm-hmm. for, for for our halloween promotion but you don't have to buy any books or anything you just subscribe to the newsletter go on my website john woolley www.johnwoolley.com w-o-o-l-e-y and it's free and uh and you'll get one once a month and, and what you do with it is pretty much up to you after that yeah, <laughs> but if you'd like to do that, if you enjoy these podcasts, then you might enjoy that too. Um, I'd like to think that you would. So, happy Halloween to everyone! If you're listening to this, and you know, pretty quickly uh, after we do it, and uh, we appreciate everybody listening and uh, check out our books and stuff online. And and Michael Price and Joey Hambrick and I, John Woolley, me, John Woolley, we'll be back before you know. Aren't you guys? Thanks. Lovely.